It's Friday, March 10th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, Master's Student in Civil Engineering and Dutch Manhattan Correspondent. And with me today is uh, Gordon Derek, Contributing Editor at Dutch News and Campaign Vehicle Watcher. And uh, we're also joined today uh, by Robin Pasco, Dutch News Editor and International Women of Distinction. I love um, the title. I love the title, Paul. Thank you. I, I thought so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, thanks that you uh, you join us again. Um, it was International Women's Day um, on Wednesday, was it? Yes. I think it was. Yes. yes. Um, yeah. And I was wondering, are you planning to uh, work more hours as the uh, uh, which minister did suggest? Karen van Genep suggested this. Oh, so social affairs minister. The social affairs minister. 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 Yeah. 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 Um, so um, are you going to uh, work even more hours than you already do, Robin? Or not? Yes, I think I'm going to do my bit for the economy. <laughs> I'm going to up my hours even yeah. more. Absolutely. Gosh, no, yes. I don't have to ship the children to the hockey club uh, on Wednesday afternoons. You surely got a bit more spare time. I do, I do. Now yeah. all that, yeah. My my children are very old now, actually. Although we do still seem to have as many requirements of parental involvement <laughs> as they always did. But uh, I don't want to hear this. My kids are in their teens, and I'm hoping that this is, this is coming to an end. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. They still come around to your house, even though they're in their thirties, and empty your fridge. Right. It's extraordinary. But there, there was a small bit of um, yeah, there was a sort of light controversy, wasn't there, about uh, Karen van Kennep using International Women's Day to say women should work more because of this ongoing Dutch discussion about what more. the so-called Dale type princess is. She didn't say if she was going to work anymore, which I thought was no, interesting. She didn't. Yeah, yeah. No, but she did go into details about the fact that she has help and her husband works part time. Uh, and and various other things. The Ade did ask her all that, so I think she probably does her bit. Yeah. But uh, it's it's a uh, it's an interesting discussion always the uh, Delta Princesses uh, one as we know on Dutch news to our cost. Yes. Let's not uh, dive too deep into that because we have a tight schedule uh, and lots lots to talk about later in the podcast. Um Gordon, uh, you have been uh, paying close attention to uh, campaign vehicles uh, like you uh, traditionally do. Campaign vehicles. Uh, are yes. we talking here about uh, the uh, we're not talking about the Richard de Moss limousines here, are we? So Yes, but yeah. also the the new favorite day campaign. Oh, the new favorite day campaign vehicle. Yes, of course. Yes, because there's a, yeah. there was a quite biz- yeah. You know, there was a montage. I think you did actually. Did you not about no, of? Uh, that was Stein. Uh, your your colleague, uh, your your esteemed colleague uh, on the um, popcorn podcast. Yeah, he's um, yeah. They did a montage of all the different vehicles that the parties are using on the campaign trail, including the favorite day who had this kind of like sort of armored bullion van, and I've no idea <laughs> yeah. why. It sort of made me instantly think of the Italian job or some kind of heist movie. Well, Low budget, yeah, a really very low like budget that. heist movie, which was sponsored by a political party. Yeah, and I also love the electrical uh, uh, buggy, the, the electrical SGP buggy. That, that, uh, that's so on brand for the SGP, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it really was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, uh, that one uh, really surprised me. And also, I love that uh, Christian Nuni had this sort of Breaking Bad RV, yeah. which uh, uh, looked like they were they were they were cooking meth in it, but actually <laughs> they were uh, <laughs> convincing people to vote for their uh, uh, so- Christian socialist uh, party, um, which is another so kind of a hallucinogenic drug, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, indeed. Especially on Sundays when they start singing and uh, they, end <laughs> yeah. they, they, they end up in a sort of trance. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, very interesting choice of, uh, of vehicles. Um, uh, but, yeah, it doesn't top, of course, the Richard de Moss uh, limousine, I think. Uh, but the, the bus the, and limousine the, combination, I think, is the crucial thing there. I've yeah. never seen them together, but yeah, oh, I think I they should. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah they, they they can have a nice parade, but hopefully not on uh, March 11th in the Hague, because uh, yeah, that's uh, on that date, uh, the Hague is filled with uh, demonstrators and protesters, uh, angry farmers, Extinction Rebellion protesters, and Wappies as well. So it's and really also going runners. I mean, the city's and already run- being <laughs> shut down for the City Pier City 10K race, and then yeah, there's going to be protests on top of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's why the Malifeld isn't available. Yeah. So they have to uh, sort of uh, uh, yeah go to all sorts of different locations throughout the city. So it's going to be a mess. Yeah, well, I'm fleeing so town, so that's fine. Okay. They, they yeah, picked the yeah. right day for it from my point of view. Yeah, so, but please avoid The Hague on, on Saturday because it's going to be a mess. Yeah, um, yeah and I uh, <laughs> had, a, had a nice laugh because I was uh, uh, looking at a, um, a sort of a building project in Heer Hugo Waard and uh, they're going to uh, build uh, three or four high-rise buildings, like 10 or 12 floors. And uh, immediately, as is tradition in the Netherlands, they started to call it um, uh, the Manhattan on the N262. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, uh, so I, ha- I had to laugh about that very very hard. And then someone pointed out um, uh, that, you know, it is really a tradition. Every time in one of these cities, there are uh, a, a bunch of... Sorry, sorry, Paul, her Hugo Vard is not a city. It's a village, right? <laughs> Technically, yeah. It's in the it's in the it's in the north of of the of, of North Holland province, I think. It's very tiny. Um, uh, b- but someone pointed out. So there was a nice thread on Twitter of of all these sorts of projects, which were called the Manhattan on the Gau, for example. Yeah. So in Gouda, yeah. Manhattan uh, on Manhattan. the Vecht. Yeah, for, for example, you also have Manhattan aan het Ei, that is uh, Amsterdam North, across uh, Amsterdam Central Close. Station. Uh, I think the closest thing is uh, Manhattan aan de Maas, that's the nickname of Rotterdam, um, which doesn't really make sense because Rotterdam isn't even on the Maas River. Mm. <laughs> it's on the Nieuwe Maas, but um, yeah, who cares? And uh, my favorite one was uh, Manhattan aan Manhattan van de Veluwe in Harderwijk, uh, which is one building with eight floors, and uh, right. yeah, it's a little bit of an overestimation, <laughs> I think. And it's also often used by protesters, right? So, so a, a, a project developer is planning to build a, a tower of, of some floors. And then uh, people uh, who live nearby are starting to protest it. And they, 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 they say, yeah, we don't want yeah. a Manhattan in... <laughs> Yeah, we don't want Manhattan yeah. on the Jungbloedsvaart or something. Yeah, yeah. Something like that, <laughs> yeah. We don't want Manhattan in Nijkerk, for example. Yeah, yeah all sorts of... So, yeah, a yeah. little bit... Uh, people don't really realize how tall <laughs> these buildings need to be yeah. uh, in order to uh, really call them a, a uh, skyscraper, I think. Hmm. So that was a nice laugh I had. Um, yeah, shall we just go to the Ophef of the Week, I think? I think that would um, be a great idea. Yes, uh, and uh, yeah, given that we have an election next week, a uh, politician-related ophef is simply unavoidable. And this week it was caused by no one other than Prime Minister Mark Rutte. The ophef started after former football talk show uh, Football Insight jokingly suggested they should invite Mark Rutte on the show after one of their uh, yeah, uh, hosts, uh, Johan Derksen, had a minute-long rant about the Prime Minister's track record. Uh, In recent months, the show has become increasingly more critical of Rutte, 
Minister, and they expected the Prime Minister uh, that he would never dare to come to the studio. But a few days later, uh, Rutte surprised everyone with a self-recorded video um, sent to uh, the program saying that he would love to be on the show, uh, but that his busy schedule only allowed Monday, March 13th. And that's uh, yeah, quite suspiciously close to the election of, uh, of, fri- of, uh, of uh, Wednesday. Mm. Um, uh, and this uh, self-invitation led to a storm of criticism in the media and on the internet by people who couldn't believe that the talk show would fall for this transparent attempt to win votes by the one million uh, VVD-leaning viewers uh, one and a half days before the ballots open. Um, the talk show, too, discussed the issue at length on air with regular guests speaking out against or being in favor of inviting Rutte. And at some point, they even suggested they might do better to cancel the invitation, leaving viewers in the dark for yeah, almost a week as to whether Rutte would appear on the show or not. Uh, but uh, I think it was on Monday it was finally confirmed that uh, Veronica that Football Inside will welcome Rutte, uh, but uh, as a compensation, other per- politicians were also invited, such as BBB leader Caroline van der Plas, and also Hugo de Jonge, <laughs> who appeared on the show uh, yesterday, and it was very nice. It was very nice to see him there. It was very amusing. Mm. So, um, if you have a chance to um, to watch it, to look to watch it, uh, uh, yeah, please uh, uh, do because it was very fun. Yeah, I must say, um, I, say I missed that. I'm not a regular watcher of uh, Football Inside, but I might actually go back and watch the Hugo de Jonge special. Yeah, about his shoes. Yeah, no, no, they didn't oh. talk about his shoes, but they did talk about the uh, Sievert van Linde Appius, oh. uh, and there was also some news about um, uh, Hugo de Jonge, who apparently had tried to block um, a sort of uh, Freedom of Information Act request uh, uh, involving his uh, WhatsApp messages uh, um, um, uh, surrounding the uh, the the Montcapius deal. Um, so there was a little bit of about that. They asked him about it as well. So um, um, th- they were kind of critical. So it wasn't right. just uh, like the the, the 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 bar talk they usually do, right? The locker room talk. It, 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 it was it had a sort of journalistic um, uh, quality, I think. I, I, right. I'm very yes. curious why they've invited Caroline von der Plas. She's on every single talk show every night <laughs> yeah, that's all right. the yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so extraordinary. They also invited Sigrid Kaag, uh, but she didn't want to come <laughs> for obvious reasons <laughs> because Johan Dijk uh, is yeah. uh, usually not so uh, not so nice about her. Uh, so they did try to uh, invite uh, other politicians, but uh, Caroline was the only one who responded to their requests, as she does because she says yes to every every inf- invitation she gets. Yeah, basically. and uh, has Caroline de Van der Plas been cloned in a Brabant uh, cattle stall? <laughs> I can't understand how else she can be everywhere at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I think I think on Tuesday she was in three talk shows yeah. in one night. Yeah, it is it is kind of remarkable, um, and it's also the reason why she's polling so high in the in the polls, as we will see later in the podcast, mm. I think. And it was a little bit more side upheft because um, uh, Football Insight also revealed the sort of uh, demand list of uh, of the of of Mark Rutte. Yeah. Uh, he um, apparently he had uh, or the or the VVD uh, campaign team had demanded that um, no other politicians uh, uh, would be should be present in the studio, uh, and also uh, they didn't want any surprises with the audience uh, meaning that or, or as it was uh, explained that, uh, that he refused to talk to uh, people from Groningen, angry farmers or uh, victims of the child benefit scandal um, and that led to uh, yeah, a little bit of uh, uh, yeah. a, 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 a small storm on the internet uh, because it sort of um, 
confirmed the idea that Margrethe is avoiding all these uh, uh, topics uh, in the uh, uh, yeah, uh, in, in, in the time around the elections. Yeah, so avoiding uh, all the people he's hurt, really, in the last uh, you know, t- yeah. 10 but years. In, in a sense, yeah. he's quite right, though, because it's nothing to do with the provincial elections, is it? I mean, <laughs> yeah. come on. Te- technically not, <laughs> yeah. no. Um, but this was later rectified by uh, Football Insight. Uh, the VVD didn't uh, uh, demand this um, um, uh, such explicitly, but uh, they did didn't want any surprises involving the audience. They said so. Um, yeah, you can explain this uh, the way you want. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's just classic written micromanaging, really, isn't it? He's uh, he's yeah. he's yeah. known for that. Yeah. yeah. But he will appear on the show on Monday, and uh, yeah, I think uh, a little bit more than the r- usual one million people will uh, will watch that show yeah. uh, on Monday night. Or not, as the case may yeah, be. I will, I will be watching that. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. This week we give you a crash course in Dutch elections. Uh, Crown witness deals are off the table until the witness protection programs are improved. Amsterdam is planning to open an enormous erotic center. Now the red light district is closing most of its windows. It has been raining gold medals and we reveal how parakeets are driving up energy costs. I noticed as well uh, yesterday, Thursday, that um, uh, Boris Johnson's on his way to Amsterdam and that Happened to be, yeah, apparently, yes. And and that was announced uh, the day after uh, there was a big story about the huge erotic centre in Amsterdam. I can't believe that this is a coincidence. (laughs) No, it really can be, no. Um, Why is uh, he coming? Who is he coming to talk to? Is he going to be on Football Inside, perhaps? He probably will. He probably will end up on it, yeah. Maybe he's a surprise in the audience. <laughs> yeah, or or, or 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 he just wanted some fresh uh, vegetables. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he, yeah, he's running short of tomatoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. On Wednesday, March 15th, Dutch voters go to the ballot boxes to elect not only their representatives for one of the 12 provincial councils, but also the members of the water boards. And if you live in the Netherlands, you might be eligible to vote in one of these elections. Uh, I think, um, Robin, you can vote in both elections, right? I can now. I'm Dutch. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Very exciting. Uh, and Gordon can only vote for the water. Boards, I can only right? vote for the water, the water authorities, uh, as they quite uh, they're, they're quite strict about not calling themselves no, water boards. No. They don't want to be associated with um, dubious practices in um, you know, Middle Eastern it, dictatorships. But yeah, <laughs> enhanced interrogation techniques. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we will just keep calling them water boards. Yes, because of course it's, we will. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's uh, too fun to uh, to uh, to do that. Yeah, yes, um, but I can't vote for the provincial uh, elections because I don't have a Dutch passport. But my uh, my nineteen year old son can for the first time. Ah, so ah, very nice. Yeah. Um, luckily, you can still vote for Richard de Moss because he is uh, yes, uh, he's on the water water board uh, a candidate list, I think. Um, the water board elections are open to everyone living in the Netherlands over the age of 18 and who has been registered as a resident in January, meaning that over 900,000 foreign nationals can vote in that election, often to their own surprise. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I think it's the same thing with the municipality cole- elections, right? I think even um, more so. I think people just assume they don't yeah. get a vote and then uh, a blue stem pass drops through their door. So if you've had a blue card um, in an envelope in your letterbox and it says stem pass on it that means you can vote in the water board elections so and the provincial stem pass is yellow i think think. yellow i haven't even opened my uh, (laughs) my envelope yet so i don't know i don't know where mine is Um, i must find it (laughs) Um, and in contrast only dutch nationals over the age of 18 are eligible in the provincial council elections so yeah 
And if you do want to go and vote, you need to take a piece of photo ID with you as well. That's important. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that's uh, that's in the script. Is later. it? Sorry. Uh, yeah, I always do that. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, you always do that. <laughs> but that's okay. And we thought uh, it is a good idea to give you a Dutch election crash course in case you can vote or if you simply uh, are following the news. Um, so let's start at the beginning, Paul. Who are we electing then? Yeah, to start with the provincial councils, uh, the Netherlands has 12 provinces which are governed much in the same way as municipalities in the country itself with an elected legislative body with factions representing political parties. They're called the provincial councils or the provinciale staten in Dutch. And the number of seats in a council is dependent on the population of the province, uh, ranging from 39 for provinces with less than 400,000 people up to 55 for provinces over 2 million people, uh, and with every 250,000 people adding an extra seat. So, for example, Zeeland, that's the smallest province, they uh, only have a provincial council of 39 seats, while uh, Zuid-Holland, North-Holland, Noord-Brabant, they have over uh, 2 million people, uh, they have um, uh, 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 councils of 55. Seats. Uh, the province's responsibilities, that's always uh, an interesting one because uh, people. Uh, yeah, usually don't seem to realize what the provinces actually do, but they are mostly responsible for infrastructural and environmental issues such as uh, yeah, they manage nature areas, they build and maintain roads, and they oversee public transport uh, as well as um, uh, 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 yeah, they're also responsible for, responsible for zoning, so um, uh, selecting areas where houses can be built or uh, um, uh, industries or uh, something like that. And recently they have the important task to implement the national government's uh, policy in tackling the nitrogen crisis. Uh, that is uh, the, uh, the most polarizing issue and that's also the, the most pressing issue in the campaigns, um, I think. Yeah, yeah, and it's a reason, of course, that the Bourbeer-Beweging, the party of Caroline van der Plas, has been polling so strongly in the last, uh, well, couple, over the last couple of years, but particularly for these elections. That's right, yeah. because th that party was particularly found in response, uh, uh, in opposition against the 2019 Council of State ruling, uh, which ruled that the, that the Dutch government needs to do more to tackle the nitrogen uh, pollution, meaning that you know building permits were halted, um, uh, uh, farmers uh, have to be buy, bought out. Uh, so that is uh, uh, why the Baby Bay party is uh, is is becoming so large. Yeah. Um, and in total, there are almost 6,000 candidates for the provincial councils. Uh, it's always a staggering number of people mm -hmm. that can be elected, right? Um, it depends a bit per province, uh, but you can roughly say that most national parties you see in the Tweede Kamer also participate in the provincial elections, but there are also 50 local parties as uh, uh, spread over the 12 provinces. Um, the local provinces, the the local parties are are in the provinces are never as successful as they are, for example, in the municipality elections, yeah. where almost half of the votes go to them. Uh, but in the uh, provincial uh, elections, this is uh, usually around fifteen percent or something. Yeah, they, they often end up with like one seat in the Senate, which we'll come on to later. But yeah, they, they don't yeah. they don't have as much yeah much of a presence as they have at uh, the lower level, the municipality level. Yeah. Yes. And technically you vote for a person on the candidate list, but in practice you vote for a party. Uh, most people tick the box of the number one candidate uh, 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 for the... Vote for women. Vote for women. <laughs> okay, I'm a okay. woman of international distinction. You vote for women. 
<laughs> so usually people vote for the number one on the uh, person on the candidate list, but very often people choose, for example, the highest uh, uh, woman on the list. Uh, um, you don't go for the highest woman because she's going to get elected anyway. You go for one who's just above where they're likely to poll to push her over the top. Sorry, Paul, I have to explain these things. I'm <laughs> yeah, okay, no, it's important. It's an important strategy. So uh, I'm just glad that you explained this to, to our listeners. Um, and yeah, all the votes of the party list are bunched together and the votes sort of trickle down the list. Um, so yeah, you can uh, 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 vote a person directly, you know, in the, in the council, but usually that's not the case. Um, it's also a proportional voting system, so a party gets the se- roughly the same percentage of the seats as they uh, got in votes. Um, that's also um, important to know. So no uh, first past the post uh, bullshit. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's just a proportional system. It does yeah. have advantages, you know, first past the post. It does, uh, <laughs> because uh, it re- often results in only two or three parties uh, in the councils and not uh, the, the 15 to 20 we have in the Tweede Kamer currently. So it does have advantages. Uh, and it, uh, as we will see, uh, these parties need to form a coalition after the election. And that uh, always takes uh, quite, an, quite a lot of time before they uh, uh, can finally agree on an agreement. Um, yeah, and that takes a lot of time. That's uh, that's the downside of our system. Um, let's go to the uh, water boards or the waterschappen. Mm. We have 23 of them in the country and they are also... Uh, yeah, it's also quite a mystery often what they are actually doing. Um, <laughs> that's why the turnout for uh, these elections are often so low because, you know, people just don't know what they do. And yeah let's let's be honest if 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 they're doing their job well we 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 don't you know we we don't know the effects of what they're doing right and we only, uh, only if things are going bad we we know that they are they are screwing things yeah up. it's so, sort yeah. of they're sort of taken for granted aren't they and then suddenly yeah, something happens really and do you see the provinces where there's most the highest turnout and the most awareness of the water uh the water boards is like limburg because they had flooding two years ago yeah um, or in zeeland obviously because zeeland is constantly being threatened by the sea but actually it's one of these things where the water boards do quite a lot of work um, and it's quite important, important because, you know, it, it's responsible for keeping the ground beneath our feet dry or at least um, and it's becoming increasingly sort of um, polarized or they're having to make more decisions because in the past it's basically been the farmers have dominated the water boards and they always want to keep the water levels low so that they can keep you know so they keep their fields well drained but nowadays of course with rising sea levels they're having to sort of pick and choose a bit more and in some places you say keep the water levels low in other places you say that's not a good idea because it makes it because we have either because in the east you have drought and it means the ground rots and how start to sink or you actually need to let the water flow around a bit more and actually create nature reserves and areas on wetlands uh, in some places to compensate for the low water levels elsewhere so it's becoming more of a political uh, body i think is the impression yeah. i got when i wrote about it um, uh, and interviewed a couple of people for a piece for dutch news yeah, whereas um, um, uh, in earlier years it was more regarded as a sort of technocratic um, um, institution. Uh, yeah, uh, we, we, our feet were dry, so yeah, uh, we were happy. Everything was or, good. Or, or, yeah, and everything was good. Uh, our, our water, the our water was clean, so everything was good. That's also one of their um, responsibilities: um, uh, providing clean drinking water and also purifying wastewater. Yeah. Um, well, well, let's see if this makes some difference to to who actually votes because when I was looking into the numbers I I found you know I was trying to find out how many foreigners 
have the right to vote because, you know, it's kind of interesting. And it's nearly a million yeah. if you add it all up. Yeah. But Amsterdam actually got back to me yesterday. I did ask them 10 days ago and they told me it's about 170,000 foreigners in Amsterdam have the chance to vote wow. for the water boards, which is Goodness. You know, a massive amount of people, really. Um, yeah. And yet they still aren't publishing any election information in English in Amsterdam. No, they tried to <laughs> yeah. tell me that they've got some stuff online. But, you know, it's not really like, you know, good old Eindhoven that just sends everybody a letter, you know, in English. Yeah. They told me they didn't know who the foreigners were, so they couldn't send them a letter. Mm, right. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. In, in the Hague, do you have an election newspaper up there? Or we we, we do. It was, yeah. it, was, it was tucked inside the normal council paper. And right. it had two lines on the front in English which if you actually opened it, you would see, which said, go to the website. Oh, well, we got hmm. a whole page in The Hague, so, you know. We're so all digital news. in Amsterdam. It's digital, you know, we know uh, it all. We always yeah. go to the council website all the time. No, good old-fashioned uh, paper still, so, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, good news. All the war crime suspects will be voting in the water board elections. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if they're registered, they are because, allowed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so Putin, you c- you can still have uh, a vote in the near future. But yeah. Not if you're in jail, I think. You can't vote if you're in jail. Oh, that's true, yeah. Well, is, it, is, it, is that true even if you haven't actually been convicted yet? Oh, I don't know. Mm. Oh, interesting It's an interesting point. thing. We yeah. should dive into this, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Um, so when, where and how can you vote if you have it? Well, almost everybody does have a vote for something. Yeah, you can vote on Wednesday, March 15th. Um, uh, last year and the year before that, there were um, the, the polls were open uh, uh, ju- yeah, over several days. But uh, yeah, the pandemic has ended, more or less, even though <laughs> cases are rising again, especially in Brabant. Yeah. Uh, so it's now only on one day. And polling, t- polling stations typically open at 7.30 a.m. and they close at 9 p.m. And there are a little over 10,000 polling stations uh, uh, in the country, uh, very well spread. So uh, yeah, you often live nearby one um, on your stampos uh, there is a polling station uh, uh, yeah it, um, there is a polling station but th- you don't have to go there uh, that's uh, only the the nearest to your house yeah. you can vote in every polling station within your municipality and f- uh, very often there is one conveniently located in your train station for example so you can vote on your way to work or if you uh, are on your way back home um, those are the ones that are typically the busiest uh, so um, yeah, you can, might expect a, a small line there, even though I think uh, you never have to wait very long. In my experience, I uh, uh, in all the other uh, polling stations, there's never a line, so yeah. yeah, you can you can just walk in, vote, and uh, two minutes uh, later, you 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 already uh, uh, yeah you're already outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, if you are eligible, you have been automatically registered and you have received uh, yeah that small piece of paper called the Stampos, which we uh, already named. Uh, you have to bring that one to the polling station as well as some piece of identification. That um, piece of identification can be um, uh, 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 10 years old, <laughs> I think. Is it 10 or right? 5 years? Five, 5 or 10 yeah. years, yeah. yeah. If it is... Um, so an expired passport is still um, you eligible can still bring that. within 5 yeah. year, years after its expiry date, yeah. Yeah, which always uh, surprises me a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you have to bring that along with your stempels and then uh, the uh, election official hands you this enormous piece of paper which uh, is, uh, is, is uh, bedsheet sized, yeah. but that is uh, your actual ballot. And you have to um, fill in, color in the uh, the, the the little circle uh, in front of the name of the person you want to vote for. 
uh, it has to be red, of course, mm -hmm. very important. Famously, you have to vote yeah. with a red pencil. Yeah. You are provided with a red pencil, but you can bring one as well. Are you taking your own, um, Paul? Yes, I'm going to bring my own, <laughs> which I was handed two years ago yeah. in the uh, pandemic elections. And so I'm going to uh, use that to vote. Um, my own personal uh, 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 voting pencil. And uh, yeah, then you... Uh, yeah. Oh, you have, you have yes. one? Yes. How did you... Where did you find it? Uh, I've just got literally next to my desk here. I must have got that for the municipal elections yeah. last year. Oh, you got one yeah. as well. They, oh, yeah, they gave, they mean. handed them out. We had a very trendy yeah. one because we voted in Daily Paper in Amsterdam, Ooh. you know, trendy boutique. So um, I think that's the great thing that you can vote in all these weird places. And it's really yeah. worth mm. looking. And, and I mean, forget your railway station. You could vote in a church or in a bar or even in somebody's front room. I mean, it's... Uh, it's fab. Well, on Pampas, that little island in front of uh, in, in front of Amsterdam, no. there's a boat going. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Oh, that's ah. what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing this year. <laughs> Um, so yeah, there, there there are a lot of interesting places you can vote, or in 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 people's um, uh, uh, living rooms, yeah. for example, in very small villages. Uh, then the, the the polling station is literally a living room, so there are very interesting yeah. places. Or 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 mu museums, for example. Um, oh yes, and, that's true. I think I voted in a museum last time, actually. Yeah. And before the Binnenhof election, you can also vote in the uh, actual Senate. Uh, that was also a highlight uh, yeah. for a lot of people. Uh, do the SKP still send a delegation up to Schiermonnikoog to try and uh, so, so they can get a big um, uh, contingent in the uh, in the early results? I can't remember. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it could be. There used to be that. <laughs> they, they, they all went up to vote in Scheme on because it's a very small island. So it's one of the first places to declare. And the SKP gets a huge vote share. So for about five mm. minutes on election results night, they're leading the polls. I never knew that the <laughs> SGP was doing that. Yeah. No. That's very sneaky. Of, I know that Scheme on <laughs> yeah. is always the first to declare. And it always has a turnout of like 150%. Yeah, that's why. Because yeah. all, everyone, uh, loads of people go up there especially to vote. Because it's and the first to sort of rig the elections yeah. uh, a little bit, yeah, yeah, to skew the election Which, coverage, just so they get an extra ten minutes of coverage. Mm -hmm. yeah. oh, that's kind of smart. It doesn't, you know, ha doesn't have any effect because you know people can vote afterwards, yeah. but that's okay. But Paul, you know, okay, we've got all this. How on earth do you know where to start from your six thousand candidates? I mean, I've looked at it, and you know, I'm a bit confused. <laughs> You have to read every party's 100-plus page-long manifestos in order to make up your mind. Apart from the Pei Fei who just have it uh, like uh, half a page <laughs> of A4, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, no, luckily you don't have to. There are a number of internet tools known as stemvisors available that can help you determine who to vote for. A lot of people yeah, literally base their vote on the stemvisors, right? So uh, yeah. um, you, you won't be the, uh, the only one if, uh, if, if you're doing that. Um, and how, do, how does that work? They present you 30 statements. Uh, you fill in how much you agree or disagree with these. And at the end, you see which party you most agree with or... It's always always fun also to look at with which party you most disagree with. Mm. Um, and in reality, uh, however, a lot of people also base their votes on how they would vote nationally. And for good reason, because of the curious influence the provincial representatives have, because they are the ones who elect the members of the Eerste Kamer mm -hmm. in May. The Dutch Senate isn't uh, elected directly by the people, but indirectly via their provincial representatives. And that makes these elections crucial for national politics. And that's why you see so many uh, politicians, national politicians, campaigning for this election. Yeah, and why, in fact, all the debates feature like the leaders of the national parties, even though none of them are actually standing in an election, which is a yeah. very curious thing. Talking yes, about issues that the provinces don't decide on. 
No, like migration yeah. or uh, whatnot. Um, and this national component is also the reason why Dutch nationals living abroad can vote for the first time in these technically local elections. They elect an electoral college, and that's practically a virtual 13th province, who also take part in the Senate elections in May. And some 30,000 nationals abroad have registered to vote uh, in this election, and they sent their mail. Th- they sent their vote uh, by mail to the municipality of The Hague, who uh, I think has a sort of... Um, uh, uh, s- someone uh, uh, who is who is uh, f- yeah on, on a full time basis is is counting all the votes that uh, come in. Yeah, they have well. this for the trader camera elections as well. So they go yeah, yeah. like an officer who's They're in charge of the it. overseas yeah. vote. Yeah, yeah. I want I wonder what he does uh, the rest of the time, <laughs> the rest of the year. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's like, like Father like Christmas. It's probably a it? woman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so no. <laughs> did I hear that correctly? <laughs> you no, did. No, no, no. I said nothing. I said nothing. <laughs> I heard it. I'm not repeating it. No. Um, when when will the results be known? <laughs> and the polling stations close at 9 p.m. and the NOS usually brings out an exit poll one minute after that. They're very, uh, yeah, they're very, uh, 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 they time it very, uh, very nicely always. Uh, and these are usually quite accurate, but for the real result, we have to wait well into the night. The NOS will have a live broadcast, uh, which for some mysterious reason, they always stop around midnight. <laughs> which is in sharp contrast with, for example, the American presidential elections when they will just continue their broadcast uh, until 6 uh, a.m. Um, yeah, but for some reason they just stop. They say, well, we, 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 the, the results are still coming mm-hmm. in, but we, uh, we want to go to bed or something. Uh, by that time, though, we usually have quite a clear image of the uh, end result. But by the next morning, all the votes usually have been counted. Uh, and then we uh, yeah, we know for sure uh, what the new uh, provincial, um, 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 uh, how the new provincial councils will look like. Yeah. Um, and the latest polls suggest that uh, Prime Minister Mark Rutte's VVD party will win most seats. Uh, and these parties... Uh, uh, followed closely by what he calls the leftist cloud of uh, PvdA and GroenLinks. Uh, these parties plan to join forces and form a single faction in the Senate, so we have to sort of consider them together. Um, um, uh, but they w- will not do that in the provinces, right? Only yeah. in the Senate. Um, and another big winner is probably Caroline van der Plassen's uh, Boer-Burgerbeweging. We already mentioned her. Uh, that party was founded in protest against the nitrogen rulings of 2019. And the biggest loser <laughs> is... Probably Forum for Democracy, which turned out to be the largest party four years yeah. ago, but uh, have since uh, imploded. Yeah, but that's um, because the votes can yeah, be rigged. Dramatically. That's what I've been so, hearing on yeah, on yeah. Yeah. news. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're already <laughs> suggesting that the polls are rigged and the elections are rigged, as they do every election. They do every election, except um, for the one four years ago when they were the biggest party. Or did they yeah. th- say they were going to be even bigger? Well, they say yeah. in advance that the uh, elections were going to be rigged, yeah. but then they were the largest, so they didn't have to they saying pursue that. that idea. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's kind of, yeah. Um, and Rutter's strategy I find very interesting that uh, he's been um, sort of talking about this. He tried basically tried to make it like a two-horse race, like a two-horse contest between the FIFA yeah. and the FIFA Hun Links. And uh, I think even RTL actually cancelled the debate because Rutter wanted didn't want uh, parties like the BBB to be taking part in the debate. Um, yeah, there was one TV yeah. debate that has been cancelled because yeah. of Rutter's demand. And in, um, uh, uh, in response to the yeah, sort of two-horse race that uh, uh, Rutte has fabricated. Um, uh, there is a uh, daily talk show that is going to organize a TV debate between Rutte and the left, uh, the left-wing cloud. Yes. Uh, so yeah. he, he, <laughs> well, he there actually be a uh, cloud, you know, sort of, um, yeah, um, taking part in the debate, you know, standing behind the podium. <laughs> that would be good. Uh, 
I, I, I would hope so. I don't know how they're going to uh, 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 how they're going to pull that off, but I hope they will. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's uh, th that also led to a lot of criticism, right? Uh, the same way with uh, football inside, should you really uh, yeah fall for this yeah. transparent? Um, yeah, uh, yeah. So should you cave into Greta's demand? But I guess if they, yeah, the very they were threatening just not to turn up for the debate if they didn't get their way, which is a bit exactly. Uh, and yeah, as a TV maker, you don't want to have a debate without yeah. the prime minister, of course. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, I do kind of find it interesting because on one hand, I mean, Greta is sort of t targeting. Uh, with the left cloud he's saying that they're going to raise taxes even though he hasn't actually said which taxes he said that they're very weak on law and order lots of kind of very so the, the sort of campaign language that you associate more with you know, you know countries where you really do have two horse races like uh, the united states and britain right it's sort of a clear left-right divide oh, yeah. but on the other hand Rutte, yeah he kind of needs these parties actually um to, to be to be strong so i think this is a bit of shadow boxing by him because yeah the coalition four parties are not going to have a majority in the senate after these uh, elections are all done and the senate's chosen in may um and if pefe de ancon links who have this joint faction have enough seats to make up a majority well those two parties have worked with him quite well in the yeah, you know, in the last couple of cabinets, um, so that actually gives him much straight. If they don't have enough votes to make a majority, then he has to go to somebody else, and that means like Burbuchebeweging or Yain and Twintik or someone who's going to be a lot more awkward. So actually, I think Phil Ritter's playing this kind of sort of double bluff, where he's bigging up the PVD and Kuhn links, hoping that they then get enough seats that he can have this kind of six, well, five and a half party coalition in the Senate. That's my theory. Well, yeah, I had the same theory, yeah. so. Uh... <laughs> Uh, I have nothing to add to that. Right. I think it's very smart of her to to, uh, to yeah to select these parties for his two horse race because yeah it will make things much more easier in the Senate uh, if these two parties become uh, as large as possible. I think. Will yeah. they have? I mean, are they likely though to with the with the six of them to have a, a majority? Yeah, they are. They yeah. are. Yeah. If, uh, uh, if 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 things, uh, 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 yeah, if we take the latest polls into account, of course, it's difficult to poll the the, the 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 seats in the Senate because you know they are elected indirectly, of course. But if you uh, t look take a look at the latest Ein vandaag uh, poll, um, yeah, these the the, the four-party coalition plus uh, GroenLinks and uh, PvdA they make uh, make a majority in the Senate. So yeah. yes, yeah, and also because in, in I mean in the provinces, which is after what these elections are actually about. I mean, it looks like the BBB are on course to maybe be the biggest party in four provinces. And of course, yeah. it's the provinces in, I think, it's Friesland and uh, you know, the, the, the rural provinces, obviously. And that's given that the provinces are you know, responsible for, uh, you know, have a big responsibility for, um, uh, for the nitrogen strategy in terms of uh, um, you know, uh, which, which, uh, which areas uh, they need to reduce the number of farming. That's going to be a real spanner in the works, I think, for the... Uh, is so it, is won't it be like last time where they just kept the Forum for Democracy out of all the provincial, uh, provincial councils and formed coalitions without them? They might just work together to exclude the BBB. Well, that's like one thing they, they could then. do, yeah. So, and we will, of course, bring you all the results in next week's podcast and uh, keep you up to speed with yeah, what's going on um, in the provincial negotiations and the Senate election and all the rest uh, in the but months lucky, going ahead. Lucky that they stop doing the results at uh, midnight, uh, Gordon. You don't <laughs> have to work too long then, will you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe they should hire some women to start to, to take over after midnight. I'll be there. I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> MPs have said no more deals should be struck with Crown witnesses in criminal trials until the system of protection has been overhauled. 
It follows last week's damning report by the Safety Council of Fei into the failures to protect three men who were shot dead in public. All three were advisors to Nabil Bey, who was a crown witness in the Marengo drugs trial. Justice Minister Dial Nyasilgas wants to expand the protection scheme, but Coalition Party Days in Zestach and the opposition Labour and Socialist parties said a functioning system of security and protection is a precondition of concluding deals with Crown Witnesses, which seems pretty hard to argue with. Uh, Acting Police Chief Lisbeth Hauser has also said the police don't have the resources to expand the system in the way Nyasilgas wants. So... Uh, Yasuga has been keeping a low profile since uh, all this news broke, but did she uh, she did speak in Parliament uh, this week. What did she have to say um, 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 on, on Wednesday? Yeah, she's um, no stranger to uh, a passing bandwagon. Um, Yasuga's jumped uh, joined the criticism of uh, Geert van der Burg, who's the head of the prosecution service, uh, who gave a rather clumsy interview on news here the day the report came out, um, where uh, he the, the, the report listed all kinds of communications failures and Van der Burg's defence was kind of they didn't really see it coming it was uh, you know they, they underestimated the criminal uh, underworld um, and what imagined what happened to the three men he said was unimaginable even though uh, after the first uh, 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 the first person Redouan T you know, was shot dead um, it was quite it, it was very imaginable and in fact there were warnings about the, uh, the the other two men were in danger and those warnings weren't passed on or weren't acted on um, so Van der Burg has now apologised for his poor choice of words and he said he didn't acknowledge the suffering of the families and he says I regret that because I thought and I still think mistakes were made in that uh, famous phrase Yasilgas said the interview was uh, clumsy but backed Van der Burg to stay in the job um, because he's been under pressure from various people including Royce de Vries, the son of Peter Ed de Vries who was one of the victims, the investigative journalist and the lawyers for Nabil Bey as well have both called for Van der Burg to resign and she's been in her the firing line as well, hasn't she? She has, yes. Uh, so she, um, when she spoke to Parliament, she appealed to MPs to back her, not sack her. Uh, she's been given uh, the standard eight weeks to respond in full to the report, uh, but she's told Parliament she doesn't think she'll need as long as that. Geert uh, van der Burg has probably done her a favour by absorbing some of the flack, and uh, Yusilgas has said there is clearly urgent work to be done, and the report painted a very painful picture, but she wasn't a supporter of having a moratorium on witness deals. Uh, she said uh, it's, uh, everyone agrees that it's necessary to to use Crown Witnesses in trials um, and the best way to do justice to the victims was to prosecute those responsible. Although perhaps the best responsible way to do justice to future victims is not to have any by protecting them better in the first place. The, uh, the European Medicines Agency has complained to the European Commission about Amsterdam's plans to potentially locate a new erotic centre close to its offices and it says it plans to raise the issue at the highest appropriate political and diplomatic level. (laughs) Two of the three locations which have been earmarked for the centre are close to the EMA, and the agency said it could be potentially greatly impacted by these proposals. The EMA is very concerned that this will create safety, security and nuisance issues for the 900 staff coming to and from work and for the large number of international delegates that need to enter and leave the agency's premises, often late in the evening, and (laughs) stay at nearby hotels. Officially staying at nearby (laughs) hotels. It's quite mind-boggling, isn't it, you know, when you think about it? It really is, yeah. 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 And I mean, I think their real anger is, they said, they told me that they'd only found out about the plans via the media and that the city city hadn't been in touch with them um, at all. 
So what exactly is the council planning to do? Yeah, well, it's planning. Whether it happens or not remains to be seen. But uh, the city plans to replace 100 of the 249 brothel windows in the red light district with a multi-storey centre for prostitution and erotic entertainment. The Manhattan of prostitution. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) It's the Las Vegas on the eye, isn't it? Well, actually, there was something like that in the the protest uh, meeting earlier in the week, I have to say. But it's going to be built, apparently, by a private developer on city land. And the aim of it is to improve the situation for all the people who live in the red light district who, of course, have to deal with the drunken tourists and all that all of the time. And they've basically had enough. And when the mayor launched the plan last year, she said she hoped it would be possible to create an erotic centre that has some class and distinction and isn't a place (laughs) where only petty criminals, the most vulnerable women gather but also people who are not ashamed to go there. Now, you need... Like EMA workers? Exactly. I mean, it's perfect. If you look at the artist's impressions to advertise the place, one of them is an advertising board outside this centre, which advertises a programme aimed at sexuality and eroticism, such as a lecture about femdom and feminism, a burlesque party, or a tantric yoga course. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yes, I know. It's uh, uh, it's an interesting it's an collection. Yeah. It's an eye-opener yeah. indeed, yes. <laughs> and has the council said that uh, the, uh, the the sex workers will have to do an extra couple of hours a week as well when they relocate? <laughs> well, they're going to be busy, aren't they, if you think about the location? Clearly, they're next door to the EMA, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, they're not very happy at the Saudas either, apparently, and I'd have thought they would be the perfect punters too, but... Uh, the business district, apparently, they've also said, you know, we're not happy, it's too close, this is supposed to be a, a place of allure, people will not come to uh, Amsterdam, you know, because of this erotic centre. So does the EMA has a point? Well, I don't know. I mean, they were forced to leave London because of Brexit, of course, and, and they say that the safety of its visitors and its workers was one of the main things that they looked at when working out where to move to. Now, I had a quick check and the two locations in Saud, one is next to the Rye Exhibition Centre and one is at the top of the the Amstel Park. They're both a good 10 minutes walk away, so they're not exactly going to be neighbours. But, you know... Yeah, the impression I got is that the erotic centre would be built next door to the EMA, but that's not the case. I think that's Ernst Young, actually, if I think about it. I think their office is next door. I don't think they've said anything yet, have they? I don't know. But... In a sense, the EMA, it argues its staff and visitors have to use the local station late at night so they don't want to be confronted with drunks or people have been, you know, up to no good. But, you know, it is next to the Rye Exhibition Centre and people have been to conferences and have been drinking at bars. So I can't really imagine it's going to be very different, but um, we'll see what happens. Yeah, it does seem bizarre that uh, Amsterdam lobbied so strongly to, to bring the EMA uh, from London and then it seems there's a complete failure to communicate with them on what is quite clearly a sensitive issue for the EMA. Well, unless unless we kind of, you know, look for double meaning in it. I mean, the third location is Nord. It's in uh, the NDSM island, which is an area that's up and coming, lots of new developments, sort of Manhattan on the Amstel, <laughs> if you like, you know, the old tower block. Uh, it's a cool place to go out lots of clubs good restaurants and that's the other location and they're not as organized as swanky saud you know so 
in a way, it's sort of not good news for Nord because they haven't got the sort of PR machinery behind mm. them saying we don't want it. And nobody wants it. Let's face it, you know, nobody wants yeah. a giant concrete block full of prostitutes and tantra yoga classes, you know. Especially the door, yoga classes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the worst thing. Yeah. Very worrying. And I mean, <laughs> is it actually going to happen? I mean, you have to also look at it that way. Um, private money is going to have to build it. Now, that means somebody's got to get investment to do it. The, ba- the prostitutes find it hard enough to get a bank account. Who's going to fund a giant brothel? You're going to have to go through all the integrity research to make sure you're not <laughs> money laundering, etc. And I mean, I really ask myself, who is going to fund building this building? I really, to be honest, I don't see it happening. And it's not going to happen for years anyway, because of course, we're going to have to go through all the protests and the Rad von Stadt appeals and, and everything. Yeah, and, and of course, they'll probably not be allowed to build it because of the uh, implications for nitrogen emissions as well. Yeah. <laughs> Massive implications, absolutely. Yeah. If you enjoy or at least appreciate our efforts to make sense of the local elections or keep you up to date with the latest news and political developments, not to mention the exotic fauna and flora, both urban and rural of the Netherlands, why not sponsor us on Patreon? We invest a lot of time and energy in making these podcasts, and much as we love doing it, we're also hugely grateful to everyone who is able to support our efforts with whatever spare change they have left over in this time of soaring food and energy bills. We give all new patrons a special shout-out by way of thanks, and you can ask us a question, either on Twitter or via our Patreon page, and you get access to all our bonus content as well, uh, such as our interview with an expert on the Groninger gas debacle, which has become a live issue again lately. So if you'd like to sign up and support the Dutch News Podcast, log on to www.patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash dutchnewsnl. Healthcare workers will go on strike on March 16th at 64 hospitals nationwide as their campaign for higher pay continues. The four nursing unions say the strike will result in the hospitals operating a Sunday service, which means only emergency care will be available. The strike doesn't affect university hospitals, which have a different pay deal. The unions are calling for a 10% pay rise, a 100 euros basic salary increase and higher travel expenses. They also want more initiatives to reduce the pressure of work, and the hospitals have offered 5% now and a further 5% at the end of the year, with the pay deal running over two years. The hospital workers' strike is the latest in a string of stoppages, as unions demand pay rises in line with soaring inflation, which hit 8% in January. Yeah, there are kind of a lot of strikes going on at the moment, Paul. Yes, we apparently we're slowly turning into France, mm. uh, because uh, without regional transport... But without the food and without the wine and without the snails. Uh, Regional transport workers are in the middle of a new round of strikes, which began on February 28th as a dispute over a new pay deal uh, shows no signs of ending. A total of 15 rolling strike days are planning over the next weeks until April uh, 7th. The two unions involved, FNV and CNV, have uh, not given details of which services are affected, but have advised travelers to check the journey before setting out. Talks between the unions and the transport sector Uh, association uh, VWOV have so far failed to reach an agreement. The FNV is asking for a 16.9% pay rise over the next year while the CNV has demanded 14% spread over 18 months. Trains run by the national operator NS and most bus, tram and metro lines in Amsterdam, Rotterdam and The Hague are not affected as their staff are covered by a different agreement. 
And yeah, recently we also saw um, strikes by uh, the bin collectors, for example, in Amsterdam and Rotterdam. That one was resolved uh, within a day, I think. Um, at least in Amsterdam, they got their pay rise a day after uh, they started striking because the garbage situation in Amsterdam was uh, already uh, running out of control, yeah. uh, I believe. Um, and also shop workers for the Bijkhof and Ethos chains uh, have also taken uh, action uh, and also uh, pharmacy uh, workers um, as well. And so, yeah, we have a lot of strikes um, and uh, a lot of disruptions. And um, ING, ING, it could be ING next as well. week. There, there's an ultimatum next Monday, ultimatum. It would be the first strike in ING's history. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and even the judges have been threatening to strike. They sent oh, a letter, yeah. um, right. sent an ultimatum, I think, to the legal protection minister Frank Vervind, saying that if he didn't uh, start talks to meet their demands within two weeks, then they, they would, uh, yeah, the judges and prosecutors uh, would start strike action. Better than wow. France, I think. We're better than France. Yeah, Five yeah. More strikes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the FNV union says there are 15 uh, strikes uh, scheduled in the first two months of this year, uh, compared to uh, 22 for the whole of 2021. And they also say that they have plenty of funds, so we have a lot of uh, strikes to uh, to look forward to. Apparently, they have uh, paid off their mortgages for their uh, swanky uh, HQ on uh, on the uh, A4 motorway in Utrecht. Uh, they paid that finally off, so now they have uh, money to uh, to spend for the strikes. The unions have been saying that uh, where pay deals have been struck, that they managed to secure quite good concessions uh, on the pay deals. I think there was, I can't remember which uh, company it was now, but um, uh, they offered an initial 4% pay raise, uh, and the union said not good enough, uh, threatened yeah. to go and went on strike uh, for, for a bit, and uh, then the company came came back with the 10% rise. And I think one of the reasons the employers are over a barrel here a bit is that there's such a uh, actual shortage of people to fill vacancies. You look in any supermarket or shop window or ATOS chain or something, there's a big poster in the window like advertising the pay rates yeah. in huge letters because they're desperate for stuff. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Absolutely. It's extraordinary. And restaurants are all shut on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday now because yeah. there's no one to work. Sports news, and uh, there's been lots of good sports news this week. We had some complaints on social media about all the sports news, right? Yeah, that's so I thought we'd have lots of it. We mentioned loads of sport this week. Uh, Azad Alkmaar beating Lazio in Rome um, in Paul's favourite competition, and they managed to come back from Rome without any pieces of fountain in their pockets as well. So they, they did themselves proud on many fronts. Their 2-1 win in the first leg of the UEFA Conference League, round of 16, gives them a great chance of reaching the quarterfinals. Last season's finalists, Feyenoord, they drew one all in Poland against uh, Ukrainian side Shakhtar Donetsk. Uh, you've got a feel for Shetar Donetsk. You sort of go away to Warsaw, thinking you're going to escape an army yeah. of barbarians, and uh, then you run up against Feyenoord's fans. But Feyenoord is still in the hunt as well. <laughs> Olaf Koy, a sprinter who's just turned 21, won the prestigious Paris-Nice cycle race at the weekend. And uh, in the least surprising sports news of the week, the Netherlands swept the board in the World Speed Skating Championships. The seven gold medalists included Irene Schouten, Patrick Roost, Antoinette de Jong and Jutta Leerdam. But I thought we'd uh, talk about baseball and athletics this week. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Co controversial choice. Because uh, the Dutch made a flying start to the World Baseball Classic, which is being held in Taiwan. Their opening match in Pule was a heavyweight clash with Cuba. Now, historically, the Cubans have dominated this fixture, but they haven't beaten the Netherlands for nearly a decade now. Uh, the Dutch don't have star pitcher Kelsey Janssen or Pedro Strop, uh, but they do have one of the highest paid Dutch sportsmen in the world, Zander Bochatz, who's from Aruba. Who nobody knows in the Netherlands. <laughs> nobody knows him, but do you know he, he signed a new contract in December? And do you know how much he's being paid? 
He signed an 11-year contract with the San Diego Padres, which is worth 280 million US dollars, oh. uh, including a 5 million signing on fee. So oh, wow. I think only Max Verstappen among Dutch sportsmen uh, is anywhere near that kind of pay grade. Wow. 280 million? 280, think? over 11 years, to be fair. And, uh, you know, okay. inflation is quite high, so, yeah, he'll probably need it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. <laughs> I will look up uh, how much uh, Max Verstappen has earned until now. Yeah, no, what is Conor's kind of contest worth? Uh, so yeah, Susanna Bochertz is uh, playing, and Josh Palacios, who's from Brooklyn, but qualifies for his mother, who's from Curacao. So colonialism still has its benefits for the Netherlands. Their second match, they won 2-0 against uh, Panama on Thursday, and uh, or 2-0, I think you should say. It's baseball. And their remaining opponents in Pool A are host nation Taiwan and Italy. So looking good for the Dutch. Extraordinary. And, and and fireworks in athletics as well. I mean, which they're not renowned for really either. Well, haven't been, but it seems to have been producing quite a crop of uh, world-class athletes at the moment. Uh, came away from the European Indoor Championships uh, in Istanbul with a clutch of six medals, and that meant they were second in the medals table, I think just below Norway. The star of the show, unsurprisingly, was Famke Boll. She ran away with a 400 metres gold medal. Uh, Lika Klaver uh, took silver as well. Boll broke 50 seconds for the fourth time this season. She's the first woman to break the 50-second barrier indoors for 17 years. And in fact, uh, Boll's well record time indoors is actually faster than uh, she's ever run outdoors so I think when the summer season starts uh, we're probably going to see her doing something really special particularly over the 400 metres is not even her main event right she's a hurdler and then she anchored the relay team to gold on the final day of the championship the men's relay team they claimed a bronze medal there's a silver for Nadine Fisser in the 60-metre hurdles and two medals in uh, an event you'd expect the Dutch to be better at really which is the high jump Dawa Amel scored an upset win in the men's event with a clearance of 2 metres 31 centimetres and uh, 19-year-old Britt Veerman took silver in the women's high jump and she equaled her own national record of 1 metre 96. It's great, isn't it? All these people yeah. suddenly in athletics. I can remember years ago, I used to love watching athletics and there were never any any Dutch to watch, but now so it was Ellen van they're Langen. out. That was yeah, it. exactly. Exactly. And, and Fanny Blankers Kuhn many, 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 many years ago. That's before my time, Yeah, Robin. mine as well, actually. I did, inter- <laughs> yeah. I did interview her once before she died. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. This is quite a legendary name. Yeah, uh, she was a legendary woman, I can tell you. Yeah, yeah she was an um, international woman distinction. And uh, yeah, she famously got a bike, for, for won a bike for, um, uh, for her four <laughs> right. gold medals. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is a little bit different than the 175 million Max Verstappen has earned over his nine-year-long uh, career. Wow. Uh, how much was the contract of? Uh, Two, 280 million dollars. Over so how much years? How many years? Eleven years. Eleven years. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, they're close. They're close. You haven't included yeah. how much Max Verstappen gets for advertising for Jumbo supermarkets in that, though, Paul. No, that's right. But uh, yeah, um, we don't know. That's secret, I think. It's surely not 175 million, I hope, for Jumbo. Even though, yeah, the owner did have some dodgy cash. He, well, he's uh, being investigated, isn't he, over some uh, uh, some financial deals. But as I don't have the deals in front of me, uh, we probably shouldn't discuss them. No. <laughs> uh, what we should discuss is the unsavory sports news uh, that came out uh, over at NOS, right? Yes, uh, the entire editorial board of the public broadcasters' sports departments resigned after an investigation was launched into allegations of bullying, discrimination and sexual harassment. And some of the reports date back uh, 20 years. The inquiry began in December in the wake of the revelations about Matthias von Newkirk, who was a presenter of early evening discussion show De Wereldreit Door on NPO, and he was accused of uh, bullying 
bullying and harassment and all sorts. Kirat Timmer, the head of NOS, said on Thursday that the resignations would not take effect immediately, but be phased in over time to ensure continuity in sports reporting. And uh, commercial broadcaster RTL, they've also announced uh, they plan to investigate concerns about integrity and bullying. So a lot of um, things crawling out of the woodwork, I think, in the wake of uh, some of the various uh, revelations about uh, bullying in broadcasting. Let's do yes. the birds. Please. Yeah, Let's please. do the birds, yeah. That's the highlight of the episode. It's the most colourful story. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. And, and the loudest part. Oh, they're certainly loud. I mean, you can't miss them thanks to their bright green feathers and their shrieks, but it seems the ring-necked parakeets are causing even more problems in the urban areas they've chosen to make their homes. Um, the housing corporation Emira went public this week with reports that the birds are making holes in the walls and pulling out the insulation to make nests for themselves. <laughs> Apparently the birds are using their bills like a hacksaw to create openings, which Emira spokesman Rule Kulavain said are as big as a fist and costing hundreds of euros to repair. And the added impact of this, he said, is that tenants are facing higher energy bills because the parakeets are damaging the insulation. Hmm. So they're quite resourceful animals, then, right? Because yeah, if, smart, they, yeah. If, if they if they figured out that uh, there is insulation inside walls, then they're tr- they're actively trying to get that out. Yeah, they're more smart. They're smarter than I thought they uh, they were. I think they're they're extremely smart. I mean, uh, Emira's published a load of photos showing them in action. You know, gardens with bits of insulation all over the floor. So. I was a bit sceptical and I thought, is this really true? But no, it does seem to be happening. And of of course, it's not the first time these pesky uh, parakeets have been called out because they've been proliferating in the Netherlands. You know, they reckon there's about 21,000 of them now. Um, They've spread out everywhere. They originated in Central Africa and India, by the way, and they are classified as an exotic invader (laughs) because they are competing not only for insulation in people's walls but uh, (laughs) for nesting space with other birds that live in hollow trees it's where they're cozy Mm. and comfortable they plunder orchards they eat the fruit and if you've ever had them in your garden which we have you know that they eat the raw peanuts until they're gone and they have a party and they descend (laughs) and they just eat and scream for about an hour like a bunch of teenagers really (laughs) And, uh, and then they just disappear so j- just like they children, they appear, they they steal all your food, they make yeah. some noise, and then <laughs> they, they clear leave your fridge, again. They drive up your energy bill, and then they disappear <laughs> yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But once again, yeah, yeah you know, they, they come over here, they steal our food, they have wild parties, they you know, they, they make a load of noise and disrupt the neighbourhood. Yeah, they, they, once again, the immigrants are getting blamed for all the for all the problems of society, aren't they? And yes. No one says anything about this. I find the seagulls much noisier and much more disruptive, but no one has a bad word to say about them. Seemingly, it's, yeah, it's the, only the, the the exotic invaders that cause the problems. I mean, they're on an official list of the worst alien species, you know, which was drawn up by an international group of scientists and published in a scientific journal with the mad name of Biological Invasions, which uh, (laughs) I think is good. But they're not on the official European list. So um, in that sense, there's not much you can do about them. I mean, you can't really hang up nets all over the place and trap them. And, you know, let's face it, they've been around since the 1970s. So, uh, you know, let's just, you know, they've gone native. Let's just include them in our... They are included in the <laughs> in the annual bird count. They are officially there as one yep. of the birds that you can spot in your garden. So uh, I think we should just accept them and 
Yeah, we need to integrate them better. That's what we need to do. You know, <laughs> we, we, need to, we need to give them uh, language lessons and uh, soup. These are third-generation parakeets. They should yeah, just exactly. learn to yeah. behave. Yeah, exactly. You, you can't point. call them exotic invaders anymore. I mean, that's quite that's quite disgraceful, really. I think. Yeah. I think we yeah. should yeah. ask uh, <laughs> ask the provincial authorities what they think of that because uh, yeah, know, I'm it's sure only it's a matter of time before the Fei Day start campaigns saying that they all come from safe <laughs> countries. And there's no business being here. But uh, we should just send them to Rwanda, I think. <laughs> there was many years ago. I, I had a, a great scoop on a Scottish newspaper with a story where the PVV councillor in the south in Zeeland wanted the Highland cows removed <laughs> from the Netherlands. Send them back to Scotland. Yeah, exactly. Front page splash. It was. It was brilliant. They're eating our chips <laughs> without mayonnaise. Well, leave the chips and the, the insulation. <laughs> And the urban legend is, I think, that one or two of these birds escaped from Artis, uh, the zoo in Amsterdam, and then, uh, yeah, starting from there, they started to uh, procreate, and they're now this, uh, yeah, 21,000, or, or how, how many are, uh, of them are there? Um, I don't know if that's true, though, because they're everywhere. They're in Britain, you know, they've got as yeah, far as my parents' the house. Yeah, they've got all yeah. Let's face it, they're just native, you know, they've gone native, yeah. they belong here. We're pro parakeet on this podcast. We are pro parakeet and proud. I'm not. Uh, that's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout-out on the podcast. My thanks to Gordon Derek and Roman Pesco, and we'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.